And uh, for the rest of us, let's turn back um, to um, that passage which we read earlier, Isaiah, chapter 61. And we will reread the first three verses. It's on page um, 737. Isaiah 61 and verse 1. Page 737. Scripture says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. The day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Well, keep your Bible open there and let's pray And ask God for his help as we consider his word. Oh Lord God, we do thank you for this opportunity this morning to think about uh, these wonderful words of prophecy in the Old Testament. Father, please would you help me to proclaim the good news that is contained in these verses and please would you give to every one of us the faith to believe what you say and move us all to come to Jesus and to receive his blessings we pray in Jesus name Amen Now, um, as we read earlier in our service, these words from Isaiah chapter 61 were read out by Jesus in the synagogue in Nazareth, in the town where he was brought up. And Jesus said to his hearers, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So, in other words, what Jesus is saying is, what those words that were written 700 odd years ago by Isaiah, Isaiah, what those words were talking about, they are now happening. They were happening through Jesus. 
And he was really saying, in effect, this is my manifesto. This is my program. This is what I'm going to do in people's lives. This is what I can do in your life. Now, those words were read out nearly 2,000 years ago. But what Jesus was doing then in his ministry when he was alive on earth, he is still doing today. Because he died on the cross, then he was raised from the dead, he ascended back up to heaven, was enthroned as king in heaven, and from heaven he poured out the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is continuing the work of Jesus in people's lives. So the words that so these words speak about what Jesus will do for those who are in need. The poor will have good news preached to them that they can become rich. The broken hearted will have their have a message come to them that their hearts can be healed. Those who are captives, those who are slaves, will be set free. Those who are in prison, or it could be translated, who are blind, they will see the light. Now, there's a question that we need to deal with at the outset as we think about these words of Jesus. Is, was Jesus promising that he would meet people's physical needs or their spiritual needs. There are some people who have interpreted these words of Jesus as though Jesus were some sort of proto-Marxist revolutionary who came to uh, rescue the poor from their poor oppressors and to, and to, and to bring them to, to freedom, to set people free from people who are oppressed, politically oppressed, to set them free and to, um, and, and to bring them into, into, into freedom. Well, no. Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. He said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, people, my disciples would fight for me. And during Jesus' earthly ministry... He didn't show any interest in, in dealing with the political issues of the day. There was all sorts of injustice going on. He could have said, right, we need to deal with this injustice, need to deal with that injustice. He didn't. He didn't. That wasn't his focus. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus' focus was spiritual. And so as we... Think about the, these, these verses here in Isaiah. We need to realize that they're talking about those, Jesus giving help to those who are in spiritual need. Those who are spiritually poor. He promises 
to make spiritually rich. Those who are broken hearted because of their sin, he promises to comfort. Those who are enslaved by their sin, he promises to set free. Those who are blind and who cannot see spiritually, he promises to enable them to see. Now this is important as well because there are preachers today who say, oh, Jesus wants to make you rich materially. Just follow Jesus. Just give your money away to my organization, they say, and you'll be rich materially. No. Jesus is promising spiritual riches to those who come to him. So as we think about this passage, I want to do so uh, under three main headings. First of all, what Jesus promises to do for those in need, which is verse 1. Secondly, how he will fulfill that promise, which is from verse 2. And then the results of his work in people's lives, which is the second half of verse 2 and on into verse 3. So first of all, what Jesus promises. Let's read verse 1 again. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Or it could be translated, the opening of the eyes to those of those who are blind. So let's see what Jesus promises. He promises good news to the poor. Who are the poor that Jesus is addressing here? He's addressing those who are spiritually poor. Those who know that they have nothing that they can present to God. In Matthew chapter 3, chapter 5 and verse 3, we read how Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit are those who know that they have sinned against God. They know that they are morally bankrupt before God. They know that they have no good works that they can, can bring to God. And this prophecy says that good news is available. There is good news for those who are spiritually poor because they will be made spiritually rich. The moral debt that we owe to God will be paid off. Their sins will be forgiven and they will be credited with the righteousness of God. They will be made heirs of 
all the blessings of God. Paul says in Ephesians 1 verse 3 that we who believe have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He made the children of God, made the heirs of God, heirs of the new heavens and the new earth. These vast spiritual riches are given to all those who come to Christ. Do you feel inadequate before God? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel like you have nothing that you can offer to him? You've got no good works of your own that you can, you can bring to him? Well, here is good news for you. If you feel poor before God, God can make you rich. Well, the next thing he talks about is healing for the brokenhearted. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Who are the brokenhearted? They are the ones who grieve for their sin. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, when the Holy Spirit works in a person's life, that person starts to get very troubled. Oh, I've done this thing wrong. Oh, I've done that thing wrong. Oh, I've done this thing wrong. And and all your sins start to come before your eyes in very sharp focus. You see all the terrible ways in which you've offended against God. All the ways in which you've hurt your members of your family. The ways in which you've ruined your own life through your own sin and folly. And it can cause very deep distress, a very deep sense of pain and grief and mourning. But the, this passage promises that those who are broken hearted spiritually, those who are mourning and grieving for their sins, they will be comforted to know that their sins are forgiven. That all their sins, the past sins, the present sins, the future sins, all cancelled out. God will bring his comfort to them. Are you someone who is grieving over your failure to serve God? Do you see the ruinous effects of, of sin in your life? Do you see the hurt you've caused others? Here's good news for you. Jesus is saying, you can be comforted to know your sins forgiven. Third thing, he says, what he's promising is freedom for the captives. He says, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Who are the captives that are being spoken of here? They are those who are the captives of sin. The truth is that we are all of us slaves of sin. We are born with a tendency to sin that is within us. We've got this on account of our 
ancestor Adam. And as, this, as we grow up, this tendency to sin quickly starts to manifest itself. So that even as very young children, we behave in selfish and wrong ways. And as we grow up, our habits of sin just get worse and worse. Jesus said, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. We've all sinned. And therefore, all of us, us in our natural state, are slaves to our sin. But Jesus promises freedom from slavery to sin. How does that happen? Well, what, what happens is that he gives the Holy Spirit to those who come to him. They are born again. And the heart is changed. The heart is renewed. God promised in Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19. He said, I will give them an undivided heart and I'll put a new spirit in them. I'll remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. They will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. No longer will we be miserable slaves of sin, unable to do what is right. But now the chains come off. We're set free from that slavery to sin and God gives the power to enable us to serve him. It's true we will never be sinlessly perfect in our life, in this life, but through Jesus Christ we could be set free from slavery to sin so we start to have the power to overcome sin in our lives. Are you... Are you aware of slavery to sin in your life? Are there things that you know you should not be doing, but you can't stop yourself from doing? Maybe you've got an uncontrollable temper. Maybe you're enslaved by alcoholic drink or drugs. Perhaps you are addicted to pornography. Perhaps you are trapped in a relationship that you should not be part of. You feel, I, should, I need to break free. But you can't break free of these things. But here is good news. Jesus has the power to set you free from slavery to sin. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And then the fourth thing we see from this passage is that Jesus promises sight for the blind. That verse, uh, toward the end of the verse it says there, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now apparently that can also be translated the opening of the eyes of those who cannot see. And I think that perhaps is the way to translate it because it's, that's the way it's translated where Jesus quotes it in the New Testament in Luke chapter 4. And this speaks to us of this wonderful work that Jesus does in people's lives 
that he gives spiritual sight to those who are blind in our natural state we just don't understand the truth about God we have no interest in the things of God we are like men groping around in a in a in, in deep darkness you know sometimes you hear of these stories where people are deep down inside a mine and then there's a landslide and they're trapped inside this mine and the, and the lights fail and they're in complete darkness they cannot see anything not even that hand in front of their eyes they cannot see a single thing well that is a picture of how we are in a natural state we cannot see the truth about God. But here is this wonderful promise that, that Jesus will open the eyes of those who are blind. Again, it's through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uh, gives sight to those who are spiritually blind. He enables them to see the truth about God, that he is the living and the almighty and holy God. He opens up their eyes to see that they have sinned against God. He opens up their eyes to see that Jesus is not just a man. But he is the eternal son of God. Who came and who died on the cross in the place of sinners. And was raised again. And he enables them to see that if they trust in Jesus. All their sins will be forgiven. So once they were blind. But now they can see. Now, what about you? Are you in the dungeon of darkness and despair? You don't know which way to turn. You're lost. You're confused. You're in the darkness. Here is great good news for you. Jesus has the power to open up your eyes. To enable you to see the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. So, here are these things then that Jesus promises to do. Then I, Notice then, secondly, how he does these things. Verse 2. He says, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. The favor that's being talked about here is through the vengeance of God being unleashed. You say, how on earth can that be? How can it be that the favor of God comes through his vengeance? Through his wrath? Through his punishment? How can that bring favor to us? Well, the answer is because that vengeance of God wasn't poured out on us. It was poured out upon his own son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he hung on the cross. So this is actually a prophecy of the cross. Because on the cross of Jesus, God poured out his wrath his vengeance against our sin 
if we trust in him. The truth is that God is a holy and righteous God. His holy law has been offended. Every sin that has ever been committed by you or by me needs to be paid for. God is angry on account of our sins. But that vengeance of God, that wrath of God, was poured out, was, that should have come upon us, was diverted onto Jesus as he hung on that cross. There's a word which is used sometimes in the New Testament. It's a word which we don't use very often in English, but it's an important word for us to understand. It's the word propitiation. Propitiation. And what that word means is the turning of wrath. The wrath of God should have come upon us, but it was diverted onto Jesus. So that as Jesus hung on that cross, the wrath of God was poured out upon him for our sins. Uh, later on in Isaiah, or earlier on in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And that's how these blessings are unlocked for us. There is good news for the poor. Spiritual riches are made available to the poor because Jesus died on that cross. There is comfort for those who grieve over their sin because Jesus died on that cross and was punished for their sins. There is deliverance from slavery to sin because Jesus died on that cross and when we believe in Jesus we are united to him in his death and united to him in his resurrection the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we are delivered through the cross from the power of sin and Satan there's opening of eyes for the blind through the cross because through the cross the Holy Spirit is poured out and eyesight can come spiritual sight will come to those who trust in Jesus well then let's then see the effect of Jesus' work in, verse, in verses 2 and 3 the effect is to bring joy and peace and strength to all who trust in him. Second half of verse 2 and going on to verse 3. To comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, 
to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So where we used to be wearing ashes, you know, people still do that these days, don't, don't they? Today, Ash Wednesday, they have it, don't they? Call Ash Wednesday, where they, they ceremonially put ashes on their heads uh, to, to, to grieve for their sins. It's a tradition which comes from the Roman Catholic Church. It has no place in the Bible. But I suppose we can learn from that that instead of ashes, we who believe, we have uh, the, a beautiful headdress instead, a crown, a diadem of beauty and glory because we've got joy. We can have joy because our sins are forgiven. If you are a Christian this morning, be glad. Rejoice. You're forgiven. You're loved by God. You have everlasting. uh, uh, You've been made rich in Christ. Uh, Next thing it says, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. When uh, when, uh, someone was glad in, in Old Testament times, they would... They would get some olive oil and they would shine up their face and shine up, put it all around themselves and make themselves glow with that oil of gladness. So we can be glad because of what the Lord has done for us. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. In our natural self, we would be full of despair and gloom. We'd say, oh, what's the world coming to? There's this problem, that problem. Problems in our own personal lives, political problems, social problems, economic problems. But we who believe we don't need to be despairing. We have a spirit of praise instead of a faint spirit, instead of despair. Because, wow, we're on our way to glory. Our sins are forgiven. We have eternal life. We're children of God. We're the heirs of the resurrection. And then it talks about how those who believe are the oaks of righteousness. Strong oaks of righteousness. You go to Greenwich Park, you'll see oak trees there which are hundreds of years old. People who lived two or three hundred years ago walked past those same oak trees. It's an astonishing thing to think about. Strong, solid oaks. And that's the promise for us who believe. We will be made oaks of righteousness. Not blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. Not, not falling into this sin, not falling into that sin and going around here and collapsing here. No, strong oaks of righteousness. This is the effect of the work of grace in a believer's heart. planting of the Lord that he might be glorified if you are a Christian if you believe in Christ you are someone in whom God 
is glorified. The glory of God is seen in your life. So here is, here is this beautiful passage that uh, we've seen then. This great manifesto of Jesus. He's, the promises, he, what he promises to us. Riches for those who are spiritually poor. Comfort for those who mourn. Freedom from slavery for those who are spiritual slaves. Sight to those who are spiritually blind. We've seen how he does it. Through the cross. When the vengeance of God was poured out upon our sins. And the result... The beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, and being an oak of righteousness. Now, how are you going to respond to this message? I suppose there's three ways you can respond. One is, you can, you can say, yes, this is what I need. Yes, I'm poor in spirit. Yes, I, I am grieving for my sins. Yes, I need to be set free from Jesus Christ. If that's your response, come to Jesus. Trust in him. Let him be your savior. And if you've already done so, be strong and rejoice in what the Lord has done for you. Another possible response, which sadly people often have, is that of indifference. They take no notice. They just, oh, well, yeah, lovely sermon. Lovely time here. Bye-bye. I urge you, don't just let this be water of a duck's back. Come to Christ. Let him save you. I do need to mention one other response which we saw in the account in Luke's gospel which was anger. The people of Jesus' day when they heard Jesus make, say these beautiful words they wanted to kill him. Why would you want to kill somebody who says these things? The reason is because they didn't want to admit that they were poor spiritually. Jesus reminded them how back in the Old Testament it was Gentiles sometimes who heard the message. Name and the leper. The widow of Zarephath. Non-Jews. People who knew their need. They were the ones who received the message. Whereas the religious people, they said, I don't need this. And that made their blood boil. Because they said, who are you to say that I need something, that I need God? And sadly, very often it is the people who think that they are good, who think that they are religious, who most object to this message of salvation 
free salvation by God's grace. So I urge you, don't, as you hear this message, don't harden your heart. Don't be indifferent to Christ. But rather, come to him. Admit your need. Admit that you are spiritually poor and wretched before God. And come to him. There was a church that Jesus wrote a letter to. Uh, church of Laodicea. And this church, they thought they were Christians and they thought they were doing really well. They thought they were rich spiritually. They thought they were doing fine. And Jesus said to them, as recorded in Revelation 3, verse 15, I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold, cold or hot. Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say... I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not really realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the Father that you may be rich. White garments that you, that, that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your oil, your eyes, so that you may see. That's what you need to do. That's what we need to do. Come to Jesus in our need. Ask him to save us. And he will save us. Well, we'll have a few moments of quiet now uh, where we can pray. And I would encourage you to pray your own prayer uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll sing our final prayer.